0: We're on Lesson 5 of We Can Trust the Bible, Lesson 5 of We Can Trust the Bible. Today's lesson is God's Word is Complete, God's Word is Complete, and we'll be going through several passages, Um, John 14, 25, John 21, 24, 25, Revelation 22, 18 and 19, Deuteronomy 4, 2, and then some others. So... So the overview, what we um, the plan to learn today is the role in the Holy Spirit writing in the New Testament. Because Last week, if you remember, we went over how the, role, the Holy Spirit's role in writing the Old Testament. So today we'll go over the role of the Holy Spirit in writing the New Testament, the eyewitness nature of the New Testament writers, and then the approximate date of the closing of the canon of Scripture. So that's what we plan on learning today. Also, the uh, overview of the lesson is is we know that the New Testament is God's Word, and it is true. We realize that the Bible, Old and New Testaments, contain the complete written Word of God from from eyewitnesses to the events described. So so hopefully you guys have been, if you've been here every week, you've been seeing the same memory verse, on all of these um, handouts. Hopefully you've been memorizing it. Um, So just as a quick recap from last week, we talked about how the Old Testament canon came to us. Uh, Who can recap how Jesus used the Old Testament scriptures on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? Does anybody remember this from last week? Yes, the law, the Psalms, he testified that the law and the Psalms and the prophets all spoke about him. He even rebuked the two disciples for failing to, you know, remember that, that he says that they were slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Um, He showed them how he was present throughout the Old Testament, And he also, Jesus also saw the Old Testament as an authoritative source, right? Um, How did the account that we read through in Jeremiah confirm what we learned about holy men recording God's word? So remember, we went through Jeremiah last week, 36. We talked about, it, 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 it talked about how, Jeremiah 36 talked about how Jeremiah received the word of God, how it was, how was come to be in written form. Do you remember this? No? The Holy Spirit came upon Jeremiah, and then Barak, or Baruch, Baruch dictated it. Or, I'm sorry, Jeremiah dictated it to Baruch, and Baruch wrote it. Okay? So Jeremiah spoke the word he heard from God. While Baruch actually wrote with ink on the scroll, and this aligns aligned nicely with 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. And then we talked about how God preserved His word in Jeremiah 36. Do you remember how this happened? How did God preserve His word in Jeremiah 36 last week? Um, yeah. Well, when the scrolls got burned, like. God <coughs> right. The scrolls were burned by. King Jehoiakim and the prophecy was burned and it was recorded again through the same God inspired Jeremiah and it was written again so that we would still have what God had given through this holy man Jeremiah. So God, taught, we saw how God providentially in history preserved his word for his people last week. So if you have your Bibles please turn to John chapter 14 John 14 verse 25 John 14 25 says wait before we do that I have a question I want you to think about this we're not going to answer it just write this down why is it that we only have 27 books in the New Testament Why is there only 27 books of the New Testament? So I'm pretty sure you've seen uh, or heard of other supposedly supposed books from apostles or supposed books that ought to belong in the Bible that the church rejects as part of the New Testament, right? So the question is why only these 27? Okay. So we hopefully by the, the goal is is by the end of today you should be able to answer that question. So if you're talking to one of your unbelieving friends and family, you'll be able to explain why the book of Thomas is not in the scriptures. Do you understand? Hopefully the goal is to be, you should be able to answer that question for someone who might ask you that, some skeptic who might ask you that, okay? all right so we're on John 14 starting at verse 25 the word of God says these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you so now we've read the text We're going to go through our normal observation, questions, trying to get you to have this reflex. So, who are the characters in that passage that I just read? Jesus, Jesus, yes. And And who's he speaking to, do you know? Yeah, he's speaking to his disciples. Do you know which disciples he's speaking to? He's talking to all... 11, he's talking to all of the disciples minus Judas, okay? You know that you ha- obviously you have to read, you have to go back further in the, in the story to get that context, but that's who he's talking to. He's talking to all the disciples, okay? Do you know when and where this took place? Is this is actually in the upper room during the Last Supper. In the upper room during the Last Supper, Now, the passages that we just read, did you read any figures of speech at all? No, no figures of speech, very direct speech. You're just reading something that Jesus said to the apostles, okay? So what does this passage tell us about God? So when we say God, does it tell us anything about the Father, about the Son, and about the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, yeah, describes the Holy Spirit as the helper. The Father sends the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Anything else? And the Holy Spirit will teach you things So the he- the Holy Spirit will teach the the apo- uh, the um the disciples and the father will send the Holy Spirit in the name of the Son. Okay? So those are all the things that we see just from reading the text, right? So remember, we're just doing observation. The reason why I'm doing this is because we're trying to get you to build this reflex. So when you're at home and you're reading the Bible, the first thing you want to do is before you start interpreting, before you start importing your opinions and um, conclusions, make sure you understand what the text says, right? Remember, we talked about this three weeks ago. What's the fancy word for that? Hermeneutics right? Can you identify how you interpret the Bible? Can you? Can you? Can you identify the method that you use to interpret the Bible? If you, if you have doubts, yeah, so this is, why is this problematic if you don't know how you interpret the Bible? What's that? okay you could potentially interpret it wrong any other any other reasons why it's important for you to know how you interpret the bible so you'll be able to rightly give it to whomever you're speaking to at that time okay so yep so you could so you could rightly interpret it yep any other reasons okay hold on so make sure you understand the question okay So remember, we talked about this uh, about two or three weeks ago. Everybody has a method that they use to interpret the Bible. Right? The the only thing is, is that some of us can identify it. Some of us can identify what method we're using, and others cannot. Okay, So it's very, very important for you to understand What method it is that you're using to interpret the scriptures? Because all of these methods of interpretation, none of them are perfect. They all have, um, I don't want to say flaws, but they all have deficiencies. They all have some deficiencies. And if you know what method that you're using to interpret the scriptures, you can compensate for those deficiencies. Does that make sense to you? If you don't know how you're interpreting the scriptures, you cannot compensate for that deficiency. Understood? Yeah. So what's the goal in interpreting the Bible? To interpret it correctly, to know. Yes, that's one of them. To, to interpret it correctly, yes. To know who God is. To know who God is. So when, when God wrote the scriptures, he had intent right? He wanted to say something to us, right? So our job is to figure out what he meant when he wrote this. Does that make sense to you? We need to determine what did God mean when God inspired holy men to write this. Therefore, it's never proper for us to import our meanings, our understandings, and our definitions into scripture in order, when we do hermeneutics, when we do interpretation. Does everybody follow me? Who's confused? Nobody's confused? Perfect. (laughs) All right. So the the method that we're using right now is called what? OIA. And what does that stand for? Interpretation and and application. So, the first thing we do is we just look at the scripture. What does it say? Who are the characters? Where are they? Before you do any work about what it means. That's very, very important. Okay? And then the next thing you look at is context, right? You look at the context. Like 80% of the interpretation problems that we have can be cleared up with context. Okay? And then from that point, once you got that pretty much um, worked out, and then the next thing you want to do is then you want to start interpreting, and you use other passage, clearer passages of scripture, to interpret less clear passages of scripture. Does that make sense to you? Does that make sense? So if you, so okay, so what what we just read. In John 14:25 through 26, what would you say is the main point of those two of those two verses? Jesus is promising his 11 disciples that the Father will send the Holy Spirit. Yes, to do what? Teach them all things and bring to remembrance. Yep. See? That was real simple. Jesus is promising his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come in his name and teach them, the disciples, and remind the disciples of the truth that, they were going, that they're going to need in the future. Okay? So now we've asked these questions about the text. we got a main idea about what this text is about. What impact does this passage have on our understanding of how the, of how the New Testament authors produce the New Testament? make sense did you follow the question okay so we read this passage okay the main point of this passage was that jesus promised his disciples the holy spirit is going to come is going to teach them and is going to cause them to remember everything that happened concerning jesus right that was the main point what does that have to do with how the new testament was written Who wrote the New Testament? By the Who? What are their names? Andrew. It wasn't any of these 11? Yeah. John. Specifically, here okay. John. So how, what does that have to do? This, um, the fact that John is sitting here when Jesus is making his promise to him, what does that have to do with how the New Testament was written? Oh, what is this promise that Jesus makes and John 14, 25, have to do with how the New Testament was written? Well, it tells us that the Holy Spirit was going to be with each one of them. What? Right. tells us that the Holy Spirit is going to be with the authors of the New Testament and do what exactly? Inspire them, Inspire them to write and cause them to remember. All the things that. All the things that all, and bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. Right? So when, the, so when you read the, the Gospel of John, right? What do we know about the authorship of the Gospel of John? He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things and the Holy Spirit caused him to remember all the things that Jesus said, okay? So the Holy Spirit brought to the remembrance of the writers of the New Testament, the experiences they they were writing about and taught them the things that they did not know at the moment, okay? I'm talking about Paul specifically. And these words were then recorded in the writer's original autograph or manuscripts under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And they recorded the words revealed to them by God, right? The New Testament is the word of God, just as much as the Old Testament is the word of God. OK, so there's a bit of debate about exactly when each New Testament book was written. But there's some general agreement, you know, about the, the time span. Most would say that all of the um, writings were complete, with the exception of the book of Revelation, before 70 A.D., right? So most biblical scholars would say that the entire Bible was written, or I'm sorry, the entire New Testament was written before 70 AD. The only exception is the book of Revelation, okay? So there's some disagreement about Revelation. Some have an early date for Revelation in around the 70s others say it's in the it's in the 90s um the reason for that is usually it uh, is because of their eschatology but we won't get into that but there's some debate just that's the only one, that's the age that's the only book where the age of that book is in a little bit of debate does that make sense to you so m- pretty much There there are very few people that disagree with the idea that all of the New Testament books were written after, or were not written before AD 70. So, So the earliest books were written within 10 to 30 years of Christ's ascension. And that has led many, many critics to claim that there must be error in those writings. Because if you tried to write down an account of something that happened 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't get all of the details right. Right? I can't remember what I had for dinner yesterday. So if I told you to write down something that happened 10 years ago, you might get the major parts of it right. But the details you you probably wouldn't get right. What's the difference with these men though? They weren't, the Holy Spirit inspired them and caused them to remember. Okay. So what makes these writings, which are described, which are describing these writings that are describing historical events different from what one of us would write is because these men wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They weren't, they weren't just relying on their human memories when they wrote these letters. That's what the Bible is claiming. You understand that? We're, so they, we, have, we have eyewitness testimony, yes, but it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Does that make sense to you? That's what the Bible is claiming. So if you got the uh, hand out there. There should be a page on the, on the back called a common thread. Common thread. All right. So what we're going to do is I need everybody to get in groups of two. Just the, you sat somebody sitting next to you probably, okay. Groups of two. Ricky, can you sit with Anita, please? Yeah, you could do group of three. Can you two sit together? This is we're gonna do a little classroom activity. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so <clears throat> I want to illustrate the point in this lesson. So we're gonna so say we're gonna break up into these small groups. Um, I'm gonna read some of these passages here. We will need to identify a particular theme. Okay? So the passages are there on the left side of this column. And you just basically you're going to fill out this column, okay? So be, listen, be as brief as possible, okay? So when it says people involved, just write their names, okay? I'm sorry? Yes, yes. to give you five more minutes. Okay. Okay, how, who, did anybody get to Acts 2? Did anybody get to 1 Corinthians 15? No? You got, anybody, did you get past Second Peter? So 1 Corinthians, so, okay, so 1 Corinthians looks like the first, is probably the first that most people got, okay? So let's go through them. Somebody read to me your answer in Luke 1, 1 through 4. Who's the author and the people involved? Luke is the author. What's that? Right. And who are the people involved? Theophilus. Right? And so what's the the key phrase in Luke 1 through 4? Okay, she says orderly account. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses, right? What about Luke 24? 46 through 49. Luke is still the the same author, correct? I hope you have Luke as the same author of Luke 1 and Luke 24. Does anybody else have another author for Luke? No, hopefully not. Okay, and is there anybody else involved in that? passage? Jesus Christ. Okay. Any other answers? And the disciples. Okay. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And what's the common thread here? Witnesses. Witnesses, right? You see it? It's in verse 48. You're witnesses of these things. What about John 1, 14? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What's this one? John is the author. And who are the people involved in this text? The Word. The Word, Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Yes, and what's the thread here? They seen, they seen him. Eyewitness testimony. Okay. Became flesh, dwelt with us in flesh, and we saw him in the flesh. We saw him in the flesh, right? Okay. What about Acts, one, one through three? Luke, right? Is the author. Theophilus is people, one of the people involved here. What's the thread here? Appearing to many in suffering proofs. One more time. Appearing to many in suffering proofs, so uh, again, eyewitness testimony. All right. Uh, you said, John, you got through first Corinthians 15:7, right? Yeah. What'd you have for that? Okay, and then the common thread. He appeared to to who? To the apostles. What do you call that? Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. Right. So what's the common thread in all of these texts? Eyewitness testimony. Right. So I'll let you go home and do the rest of these. Right. So the common thread in all of these passages is that you have eyewitness testimony to the works that Jesus performed while he was on the earth okay now this next part here says uh write a short summary statement that describes the experiences of the authors of the new testament i'm not going i'm going to have you do that when you go home okay but uh in short basically they experienced something They're, you know they saw whether it was his resurrection or his work while he was here on the earth But in every one of these passages that you read, the claim is is that we saw, we physically saw the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so when we think about, so then, now remember what we just read in John chapter 14, verses 25 through 26. So if you combine all these texts that we just read, that's claiming all this eyewitness testimony plus the promise from the Lord Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come to these eyewitnesses and cause them to remember all the things that, they, that Christ told them. This makes a powerful, powerful argument for the authority of the New Testament. Okay, Because these are not just men writing on, of their own will and under their own willpower, okay? These are men inspired by God as, and they were eyewitnesses to these things that they're writing down. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so they're not people who are claiming to have gotten this information secondhand. Even the letters of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he saw the resurrected Lord. Right? He was taught by the Lord directly. So, even if you want to make the argument about Paul, he saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Okay? And he submitted himself, the apostle Paul submitted himself to the other apostles, and they confirmed everything that he was teaching was along, right along and aligned with everything that the Lord Jesus Christ had taught them. Okay? Okay? So all of this makes for a very, very powerful argument for the authority of the New Testament. Right? So all that to say, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself. Turn to Revelation. Because remember, the fir- the very, very first question we asked when we first walked in here, for those of you who, who came in late, was why is there only 27 books in the New Testament? Right? Why don't we consider the book of Thomas a book in the New Testament? Why does the church reject that? Okay, why is it just these 27? That's the question we're trying to answer. Okay? So Revelation 22. Revelation 22, starting at verse verse 18. Okay. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy... God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So, Revelation, I'm sorry, 22, Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. Revelation 22, 18 and 19. I'll read it again. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So your reflex right now is going to be, what does that mean? Don't do that yet. Okay, what are you supposed to do first? Okay, who wrote the book? Okay, Wh- you sure? We're in Revelation chapter twenty-one. Okay, who who wrote the book of Revelation? John. Okay, it's written by John. Right. Um, who's the audience of this book? Churches. Churches, uh. Well, okay, so according to verse 18 that we just read in 21, who's this, who's this talking to? Everybody. Anybody who reads it, okay? So, okay, so I'm not trying to be, okay, I'm not trying to be rude or precocious right now. You should not be thinking right now. Okay you should just be looking at the bible and observing. Does that make sense to you? Yes, That's what I op- when you do observation, you should not be trying to figure things out. You should be what does the bible say right here? Does that make sense to you? So, when we ask this question, who's the audience here from verses 18 through 19? When I ask you that que- when I ask you observation question, your head should immediately do this. Okay? into the Bible. That make sense to you? Okay. So the author is any, I want everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, anybody who's reading it, anybody who hears it spoken, anybody who hears it read, that's who the audience is here. Okay. What are the two commands in this passage? Don't add anything to it. Show me where you see that. Verse 18. Verse 18. Yeah. 19. And then what else? What's the second command? Don't take away. Right. What are the consequences described for violating these two commands? Okay. Okay. So what's the first consequence? Plagues. What's the, that's the consequence of what? Okay. And the consequence of the other is. Take away part from the tree of life. Yeah, you were removed from the book of life in the holy city. Right? So those are just observations, right? Don't be confused. Okay. You have the answer key. You know when some of y'all used to cheat in school? Okay. You have the answer key right here. It's okay. This is an open book test right now. Okay. Just look, at the, just look at the Bible and answer the question. Okay, none of these are trick questions. When you do, remember, when you're doing observation, none of these are trick questions. Okay? Um, what book is being referred to in verse 18? Are you sure? Tell me how you know that for sure. This book. So what, what book is that? Revelation. Revelation. So when you answer these questions you could be confident. How do you know you could be confident? Because it's in the book. See? Right? They're observation questions. What are you not supposed to do when you do observation? Think. Right? You just read. Right? Like we you understand? Just read the answers, okay? Okay, are there other passages in Scripture that say what this passage is saying? Are there any other, okay, so what's the main point? What's the main, what's the main point in this passage so far? Right, we have two commands. Don't add or take away. From the word of God. Right. And there's consequences if you do. Right. Yes, sir. You yeah, it says in Deuteronomy 12 also. Read that for me. OK, so that so that passage of scripture is going to help you interpret this one. Does that, that make sense to you? Deuteronomy four two. Or, okay, so the one he just read was Deuteronomy twelve thirty two, and then some. Okay, so read Deuteronomy four two. Deuteronomy uh, chapter four verse two. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Okay. Yes. Also, Proverbs thirty verses five and six. Yep. Read that. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Okay, so you have this passage. That was Proverbs chapter 30, verses 5 through 6. So, what's the common theme of all these passages? Do not add or take away from the word of God. Amen? Okay. So that all of those passages together will help you interpret what's being said in Revelation chapter 21, verses 18 through 19. Okay, so the main point here is do not add or take away from God's word. So from this passage, we see clear warning against adding to or taking away from the words of God. He said that the warning in verse 18 specifically applies to this particular writing in revelation but in its but it would be proper based on the other passages that we read that we just read which was in deuteronomy and proverbs and others i think we can add as well but we'll just stay with those but it's proper to extend this warning to the entirety of scripture does that make sense to you okay you have to extend this warning to the entirety of Scripture, you should not add or take away from the Word of God. Is that kind of like the application of it? Because it doesn't say that clearly right in this Sure, passage. yes, that's where you get the application. Yes, we shouldn't change those words, we shouldn't change any of them. Right, absolutely. So, this is why, one of the reasons why the pastors, these pastors or any pastor cannot bind your conscience to things that are not in the Scripture. Okay? We cannot, as a, as a body of elders, bind your conscience to anything that's not in the Word of God. Like, none of us can stand up and say, we're going to church discipline you if you don't attend the discipleship group. Why can I not do that? It's not in the Bible. Right? I'm I'm adding things to the Bible now that are not there. Okay? I cannot command you, the pastors cannot command you, you must give 10%. Why not? Adding laws of, that are not in the scripture, we don't have the authority to do that to you, right? We also have the responsibility to preach the entire counsel of God. Right? So that means we cannot take away things, nor can we add things. Right? So that's one of the reasons that we have decided to preach through entire books of the Bible. You know why we do that? So we don't... I don't like this one. Let's skip it. Right. You, you know, so... I, I, I want to be careful because, you know, every man got to stand before God on his own, right? But every pastor, every preacher, they have their hobby horses and they have their proclivities. They have their particular things that if you give them free reign, they would only ever talk about that. Okay? But when you preach through entire books of scripture, you're forced to talk about things you would not ordinarily talk about on your own. So, I'm not saying that there are not churches that, uh, the, that there, the preachers who don't Preach systematically through books of the Bible are not faithful. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, in order to safeguard from that, the best way is is that you have pastors and preachers preaching through entire books of the Bible. That way, they're forced to deal with topics that they themselves don't particularly like very much. So, this sh- sounds to me like it's a correction for this command is a correction for the, our oldest and first mistake added and took away the, right. the words of God and said uh, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden neither shall you touch it lest you die she added the neither shall you touch it and dropped out the first part of it is so that you can eat everything else right so did everybody hear the point that he made he said that this warning in Revelation is a correction for the first and oldest human mistake human sin which was to what Eve and Adam did in the garden when they added to the word of God. When she said, um, neither, shall you, neither shall you touch it. And she left out the part where the Lord said, you can have everything else. Right. So he said his observation here is, is that that this is a correction to our oldest and first mistake. That makes sense to me? It's a very good point. Thank you, Andrew. So so this verse here supports the, clo- the closing of the canon, the Christian canon. Have you ever heard anybody make this statement that the canon is closed? Do you know what this means? So the word canon means rule. It's just a, another word for rule. So the rule of the Christian life is the word of God. The Bible, everything you need for faith and practice is in the scriptures. Right? And the word is closed. Right? Right? God is not speaking in the same way anymore as he did in the scriptures. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. It says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So, now this isn't explicitly about the um, inspiration of scripture, but it does tell us something about the inspiration of scripture. What, first of all, who wrote this? We don't know. It's debatable, it's debatable right? So um, who, is it, who is this passage of Scripture talking about here? The Son, Jesus Christ, right? And what is being said about him? For, okay, so it says something about God, right? The passage says something about God. What does this passage say about God? So, uh, so there were, at many times, and in various different ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers, by the prophets, okay? And then he did something else. And what else did he do? And then he, there's this fancy conjunction there, right there, that says, but, right? That's typically, a con- he's getting ready to change how he's doing things. He did it this way at one time. And now he's doing it like this. What's the way he's doing it now? Through his son. Okay. Turn to Jude chapter 3. Or I'm sorry, Jude verse 3. There is no Jude chapter 3. Jude verse 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you, about our common salvation about it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints okay who wrote this okay who's he writing it to those who are called beloved in God the father the Christ now who is that you look confused good okay I'm just making sure you're not confused. I don't want to lose anybody. So this book is written to all believers, right? And then in verse 3, he starts the letter, beloved. Why is he writing this letter? He found it necessary, found it necessary to write about what? Yeah, he's warning them to contend for the faith, Right. And what does he say? He says something about our salvation. What does he say about it? How does he describe our salvation? It's for all no, okay, hold on. What does he say about our salvation? Common. It's common. What does that mean? Somebody tell me what that means. It's the same common just means it's the same, right? So, and then he says something else. He says that he's writing to them, appealing to you to contend for the faith. And then he says something about the faith. What does he say about the faith? Once for all what? Once for all handed down to us. Now, once for all means once for all. It's done. Right? So here's what I can say about this. The faith that saved me is the same faith that saved the Apostle Paul. Right? It's been handed down once and for all. This is why I constantly say this all the time. If you get somebody in a pulpit and they get some new revelation that nobody has ever heard across the span of Christian history, I can pretty much guarantee you it's heresy. Okay? And why is that? We have a common salvation that is produced by faith and that faith has been once and for all delivered to who? Saints. All the, the saints. Okay? So, when we say that the canon is closed, you have everything that you need in inspired scripture to serve and believe upon Jesus Christ for salvation. Yes, ma'am. So, I'm sure that this question comes up. So, I'm going to raise it. Okay. Yes. And we just read the verses that do show that we are not to add to it or take away from it. away from it. So how did we decide what is the canon? Okay, so you weren't here at the very beginning. That's the question we're trying to answer. The question she asked is how do how do we decide what is the canon? How do how come remember the first question we, does everybody remember the very first question I asked at the beginning of the class? Why only these 27 books, right? So, these New Testament books were put together because they're the authoritative word of God. And how we know that is because we have to ask a set of questions. Now, the fancy theological 25-cent term for this is apostolicity, right? How you determine whether or not a book should be in the New Testament, okay? Well, we already have one clue, right? Who should have written it? What'd you say? An eyewitness, right? It's either written by an eyewitness or superintend... The writing was superintended by an eyewitness. Does that make sense to you? Okay. So was the book or letter written by an apostle or under the direction of an apostle? Okay. Did the writing, is it consistent with the rest of scripture? Is it consistent with what the Old Testament promised about the Messiah? How do we know that? Last week, Luke 24, the idea of a a Messiah dying for sin, resurrecting on the third day, and saving his people and ascending into heaven, where did that idea come from? Luke 24, remember, this is not a trick question. Jesus said to his apostles on the road to Emmaus, right, he rebuked them because they were slow to believe all the things that written of him in the prophets, right? So the concept of an Old Testament Messiah dying being crushed for sin and resurrecting, that was in the Old Testament, that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Jesus comes, Jesus of Nazareth comes, fulfill all of these prophecies. We have eyewitness testimony to these things, right? So does this letter, one, is it written by an apostle or under the direction of apostle? And two, does it accord with or in line with what the Old Testament has said about this coming Messiah? Does that make sense to you? That's the second question. Okay. Were these writings used early in the life of the church? Very, very early in the life of the church. Okay? Did most churches accept these writings as New Testament canon? And did the writing do the writings conform to what the church church taught about salvation? Okay, those are the questions you ask. So that's why when you get to a book, I'm going to say this real quick because I'm running out of time. Like there's this book, the Book of Thomas. The reason why that book is not added in the canon is because of A, when it was written, right? The date of that letter is, three, is, in, the, uh, is in the third century. That's a problem. You understand why that's a problem, right? Let me tell you why that's a problem. If I'm going to write Marty's life story, Right? I'm going to listen to that story if it came from Sheila. I'm not listening to that story from Marty's great-great-grandchildren. Right? Because Marty, that story, when it started with Sheila, it's going to be one burglar came into the house and Marty shot him. By the time it get to his great-grandchildren, it's going to be 10. (laughs) Right? So the earlier the eyewitness testimony is, or I'm sorry, the earlier the letter is, it has to be within the lifetime of the apostle. Anything written outside of the lifetime of the apostle is going to get rejected because it's going to be unreliable. And the reason for that is because it's not written by the apostle, nor is it superintended by the apostle himself. That makes sense to you? And then also, you're going to hear this thing real quick. People always say this all the time. It's all over the Internet. The Council of Nicaea, oh, the Bible wasn't put together until the Council on Nicaea, as a complete fabrication of the truth, the Council of Nicaea met because they were dealing with a heresy about the nature of Jesus called Arianism. But the, the books of the Bible had already been hashed out and determined by 125 AD. Okay, that was already done and settled. Does that make sense to you? So typically what happens in church history is Things are going along fine. Everybody's agreeing on something. And then some heretic will stand up and say something. And then everybody got to meet together and say, hold on, that guy's wrong. Okay. And so that happened early, early on in church history about the canon, the New Testament canon. Okay. So that makes sense to you? That book in particular doesn't line up with the rest of the book. That's the other problem. So that, the, the book of Thomas, it's some things in the... In the book of thomas that's foreign to the other letters of scripture okay so but i'm out of time i gotta close this out so if you got any questions just come see me we'll we'll, uh I'll, i'll answer them independent father we thank you god for preserving your word for us we thank you god that you have given us tools and means to know that your word is reliable and trustworthy thank you god that you are a god who is in complete control of history and providence that we can trust what you have done. We can trust what you have said to us. Help us, O oh God, to interpret the things rightly, to apply them to our lives in a way that will glorify your name and build your church. It's in the holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.